Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and salutations. It's another edition of Revolutionary Buddha. The only Come back home to Africa. Come back home 
Eshu is the respected elder who flogs, confronts, and uncovers fools. That one versed in mysteries uses truth to own you. He causes scatter to be poverty. Obatala shakes rascals to have sacrifice. The owner of warnings is the one who is Eshu. Aboru, aboye, aboshise, ashe. May I ever reach a rune. May I ever be accepted. May I ever allow what we desire to come to pass. And so we say, ashe, o ashe. I'm always honored and humbled indeed by those of you who take time out of the middle of your day. Wherever you are on this magnificent globe at this present moment in time space, I offer you divine all blessed greetings and salutations. You are now sitting live with the Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagun Oloye Hudu Obeya Bokur, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hudu world spiritualist perspective. Understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veils, for it is all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is my constant prayer, my mantra, affirmation, reverberation, my reiteration, and it is indeed my ever-living reality. All this a blessing is crucial to the very foundation of my inner standing, my teaching, my walk, my work, my demonstration along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. All of the blessing is where I begin and end each and every endeavor, all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine, all-blessed reality. And so it is. Ashe. Today is Monday, the 24th of May, 2021, and I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you now live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum universally, from this working temple of the House of the Divine Prince. High Potions, Hoodoo Central, LLC, in this beautiful, historic, some would say most haunted, others would say most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors and those who came before me along this hoodoo, obey a life path and journey, passing down the great obia stick along with the knowledge of the life-giving herbs, roots, plants, rituals, spirits, minerals, 
and indeed, as our beloved elder Denise Augustine, Mother Denise Augustine, would say, our sacred story. I always like to start first just with taking a breath and then taking another breath, understanding that the creation of sacred space is critical to all that we might do, think, say, be, and ultimately demonstrate. The creation of sacred space, first within mind and body and heart, soul and spirit, and then indeed outwardly into our personal environment, into our communal environment, into our global environment. And I'm always grateful and appreciative to have my family with me, my cousins with me. And I want to bring Oloye Ifawole, Oladeji Ufukande onto air with me and acknowledge him. Greetings, beloved, and salutations. Welcome for being a part of our show. Greetings to everybody. I hope everyone is doing well today. Uh, please excuse me. I'm a little bit uh, under the weather. Uh, so I might be a little uh, reserved today, but I wish every, each and every one of you my blessings today and pray that today will be a day of elevation of your spirit and conscious in all areas of your life and that the lessons that will be learned today uh, from my cousin, and I'll try to contribute and hopefully will be here in a little bit, uh, that we'll, we'll do our best to be blessing you today. So. My blessings to each and every one of you today. Thank you kindly, beloved. And I want to remind you that if you don't have a webcam and you don't have a working mic, but you would like to contribute, ask questions, be a part of the show, my phone lines are open at area code 845-277-9143-845, area code toll-free 845-277-9143. Please be patient with me if you're on the phone line. I will be forward with you momentarily. I will open your mic. I'll call out your area code. If it's more than one person in that same area code, I might call out your first three numbers. But I will then open your mic. I will acknowledge those who pressed the number one who raised the hand. Otherwise, I'm going to just assume that you're listening, enjoying, digesting it, and taking it all in. And, of course, you are also welcome to utilize the StreamYard link. If, indeed, you do have a working webcam and mic, you can use the StreamYard link at the bottom of the screen, D-W-I-K-D-A-T-9-E-V, and you can also join us live on screen with your active working webcam and mic. I want to first set a foundation for the show, if you will, the title, the subject matter, what I would like to share and discuss today. And that is indeed the power of ritual and ceremony in ATR, the power of ritual and ceremony in ATR. This essay is an analysis of the rituals of African cosmology. It will deal with the comprehensive interpretation of ritual and their meaning or meanings This essay starts with the definition of ritual and its comprehensive interpretation. This is followed by an open discussion. Please participate, ask your questions, make your comments um, of several approaches to how we uh, uh, deal with ritual, how we apply ritual within the various branches 
and communities that we uh, associate under the umbrella of HDR. The discussion then turns to an analysis of two classic types of rituals. The first type are those rites that are connected to the human life cycle, such as birth, marriage, coming of age, death, and then to human crisis-oriented uh, rituals, such as illnesses, how we deal with, with health. I would like to say that all rituals in ATR have at their very foundation healing. Healing. That has also often been misrepresented in the West. People immediately associated with witchcraft, therefore with ego, therefore with revenge and attack and, and, and aggressive forms of, of protection. But at the root of all things, ritual within these traditions is healing. Healing. And so we apply earth, we apply um, herbs, we apply trees, plants, roots, bark to address the healing of our bodies, our spirits, our communities, and ultimately it, it affects the world at a global level. According to Nancy C. Ring, from 1998, rituals are found in introduction community and are a primary means of social communication and cohesion, introducing the new life, the new birth, the new individual into a community, an organized community. Uh, we have a, a resistance to, to the words organized religion, but culture is organized, ethno-cultural religion and tradition is indeed organized. And so there is a coming into or coming out of or bringing someone into a greater sense of, of community, which not only expands our individual empowerment, our individual sense of self, but that of the family, that of the ethnic group, that of the community. Uh, my cousin and I have discussed in previous broadcasts about the dynamics of heritage and lineage first making a foundation in biological and, and bloodline heritage in which he and I and my other cousin, Otan, we share a bloodline DNA heritage, lineage, if you will. But heritage and lineage is also birthed from tradition, ethno-cultural tradition. And that is specific to geography. For those of you who enjoyed the documentary that I aired um, from 1030 until the beginning of the uh, broadcast about voodoo and its global demonstration, they covered that quite eloquently, how various paths and lineages were created out of geography, where we were located, where we might have been moved from, where we may have migrated to, and how new life, uh, living life on life terms, new life events created the birth of new traditions, which turned into new practices, which turned into new systems, new lineages, new ways of doing things. When we think about Cuba, they have a very specific Yoruba-based lineage. Now, it's not exactly the same as Nago. It's not exactly the same as how things are done in West Africa. And things are not done from village to village, from family to family, exactly the same either. My cousin Oloye has 
expressed that as well in previous shows, how things are done just a little bit differently from house to house, family to family. I like to use the, the uh, imagery of the gumbo. You know, we're known for gumbo in, in New Orleans. We're known for gumbo in Louisiana, but everybody's gumbo is not the same. Every, every mama don't make the gumbo the same. Every grandmama and grandpapa and, and, and big sister and big brother don't prepare their gumbo quite the same as maybe next door. But there is indeed a basic formula for gumbo. There is indeed a basic recipe for creating gumbo. So the English word right derives from a Greek word, dromenia, or dromenon, meaning a thing done to achieve a specific end. If a symbol is a, I'm sorry, if a symbol is a meaningful sign, a ritual can be called a significant action. Ritual, according to the Penguin Dictionary of Religion, a rite is a specific ritual action or practice, including physical movements or any accompanying words, ritual, or music. And on the other hand, it's often communal, consisting of prescribed actions performed periodically or repetitively. Uh, a common communal ritual here in New Orleans is Mayapha, the commemoration of the Middle Passage. Uh, we typically, usually do Mayapha the very first Saturday in July. Now, I'm still not clear on, on 2021. I told you all, as soon as I knew better, I would let you know. I, I haven't heard quite yet if uh, Mayapha is going to happen this year. I'm going to assume that it will. Um, I'm sure there'll be some changes to it, you know, in, in the event of, you know, in, in the season of COVID. Um, but it's typically the very first Saturday in July here in New Orleans. And, it, and again, it's a way of commemorating the Middle Passage. And, of course, it's specific effects on the city of New Orleans. I do know that Mayapha is commemorated in other regions uh, of the country, including uh, Queen Quet the Gullah Geechee Nation in the Sea Islands off the Carolina coast. Uh, I believe they do it in Oakland. Uh, I think they do it as well in, in Brooklyn or in the, in the New York City area. And, and they're not always done on the same day. So, you know, get with your community. Get with your community organizers. Get with your community organization and find out if that ritual is being performed in your area or somewhere nearby and become a part of that. Another ritual that we've developed uh, that some of us still support is Dr. Karanga and Kwanzaa. And so now many households acknowledge the ritual of Kwanzaa, the ceremony of Kwanzaa. And it is, again, a way of uh, not only bringing a sense of unity uh, to the family, to the household, to the group, to the organization around a Pan-African-based system. There are aspects of Kwanzaa that are indeed you know, uh, based in, 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 um, in, in, um, oh, wow. I just drew a blank in, um, Swahili culture, um, and, and wording, but also very African American based, uh, traditions are also, uh, sort of inherent in how we acknowledge, uh, Kwanzaa, uh, candles, candles in terms of timing is a very new thing. 
Our ancestors may not have had access to candles. Candle wax, you know, and beeswax would have been greatly more expensive uh, in, in older historic timing. So oil lamps and other forms of uh, illumination and fire would have been, been utilized. So indeed, we bring our Western sort of nuances to some of these ritual practices and traditions. But, but by establishing a, a secure foundation and base in heritage, and lineage is very important to how we then go into ritual and what ritual is and how ritual is performed geographically within the uh, African uh, diaspora. We can say that in modern English, there is no clear distinction between rituals and rites. Rituals are activities which have a definite religious overtone. A ritual is a link established between present moment and original reality. The word ritual refers to symbolic action, which focuses a certain kind of power through the use of natural signs and symbols. Rituals range from simple gestures, such as bowing or shaking shaking hands, to elaborate ceremonial dramas, such as the coronation of the traditional chief, or modern chief, or initiatory ceremonies, uh, sometimes um, repasts and funerary ceremonies. Another local example of that is black masking culture here in, in New Orleans, which is full of ceremony and ritual and history and tradition with modern nuances that evolve, you know, with each year, with each opportunity that we come out into, to, into the street. Uh, whether to perform or to actually operate within uh, a ritual. Second line, many of you are now familiar with, is a funerary rite that is practiced here in New Orleans, which has a distinctly African voodoo-based root behind it. So when someone uh, dies in the community, particularly someone who's celebrated, you know, or or well-known, then second lines are often um, had. You first have your first line, you know, the, the funeral family, sometimes, you know, the casket. Uh, there's a dirge, which is sort of a slow-paced sort of religious march that happens. And then the second line breaks out with the, with the upbeat of the brass band. And, and people pick up the step a little bit. And then it turns into a celebration of the life. And sometimes, yes, we dance on the casket. Sometimes, yes, we carry the casket you know, through the streets with, with the second line and, and leave the horse and the, and the chariot behind and leave the funerary cars behind while we celebrate the life within the community among the people. And so ritual, ceremony, tradition, and you've heard me say this before, that there really wouldn't be a church, there really wouldn't be Christianity in the U.S. without the black African ritual ceremonial footprint. And when we know what it is, when we can see it for what it is, when we can identify it for what it is, then we can see clearly the footprint of our traditions, our rituals, and our practices now integrated to other religions. And and Islam, um, no less than Christianity, has many traditions that have their root, their practice in in African and other indigenous-based with ritual uh, traditions. Traditions. Uh, the Confucianist saga, Hosan 
Suzy or Osan Suzy spoke of the significant role of ritual in the following memorial words. When rites are performed in the highest manner, then both the emotions and the form embodying them are fully realized. Through rites, heaven and earth join in harmony. The sun and the moon shine, the four seasons process in order, and all things flourish. Men's likes and dislikes are regulated, and their joys and hates are made appropriate. Those below are obedient. Those above are enlightened. All things change, but do not become disordered. Only he who turns his back upon the rights will be destroyed. Are they not wonderful indeed? And so the idea of the importance of rights and rituals transcends not just ATR, but really all indigenous world cultures and traditions. You acknowledge the birth of a child. Uh, in many cultures, the child is not even named until almost 30 days, a, a full you know, moon cycle, after they've had an opportunity to interact with the child, to gain some sense of the personality of the child, um, to sort of get some understanding of, of the destiny, if you will, of the child. And so another right that we operate in within the umbrella of ATR is divination. There is very little that's done within these traditions in terms of rites and ceremony that's absent from divination, that's absent from allowing the voice of the ancestors to speak, the, vo- the voice of the Loa or the Orisha or the Abasan or the Olusi, depending on the ethnic lineage, the spirit, if you will, to speak. There's very little that's done without divination. There's no such thing as going into work without having had an examination a consultation, a a look at what we're addressing, a a look at what's available to you, a look at what might not be available to us, and and then how to maneuver within that. So very little is done within our traditions without consulting a a higher power, if you will. And, and, And it starts by acknowledging our elders. How were things done? What do you remember? What is your experience? What might we be overlooking? What might we be neglecting? What has your years of, of, of living life on life's terms, you know, brought to how we can better approach ritual and ceremony? So, so we often look in human form to, to our elders and those who come before, those who perform the rituals, those who continue the ritual. Uh, continuing ritual within the dynamics of family is, is a major thing in, in, in the city of New Orleans. Um, acknowledging the families who originated and then passed those traditions down to, to others, who brought others in and, and taught them those, those traditions, those practices. We even see it in terms of, of career paths, families of plumbers, families of tailors and seamstress, families of, of educators. And so these rituals have a much deeper effect on bringing us together, unifying us uh, across economic dynamics, uh, across sometimes geographic dynamics. And me and my cousins are making a, a concerted and aggressive effort right now to further build inroads that we can share and bring others across the bridge, you know, into ATR traditions. 
uh, directly with our, our cousins and our brothers and sisters, you know, on the mother continent, but also here and creating a, a, a deeper fibric connection between us so that no one is operating in the illusion of isolation. So no one is operating as if they don't have support or or a shoulder or another opinion of what life might bring to us on life terms. I want to also um, introduce my cousin, the beloved Iya Otan. Ifa Mo, Ifa, I always stutter on your name. Ifa Tomiwa, Ifa Tomiwa. And we are cousins, she and I, and Oloye Ifawole, we are indeed blood cousins. If you ain't did your DNA test, you better get on it. <laughs> you know, we've all been blessed by it. And the synchronicity that we keep running into, well, I shouldn't say running into because they keep coming at us, the synchronicities between us, you know, the similarities, the synchronicities, the things that we have in common, uh, the way spirit speaks, through divination, and, and, and it somehow, you know, is it, beginning to sink in, in a supernatural kind of way. Um, if I could digress for just a moment, you know, I, I heard a rumor, I'm sure you women can speak to it, that if, you know, more than two women are living in a house, you know, your cycles might begin to sink. So it's real interesting how this blood, you know, carries such a dynamic you know, coding, you know, a power and energy. And it's only when you meet each other and greet each other and find out and get to know each other that you really begin to see it. Sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. So you think you got it, you know, from your immediate family or your close relative, and, and you think that's really the extent of the story. But there's so much more to our stories that uh, the, the power of the technology in modern DNA has brought to us, and, and I just felt like I had to say that. So greetings, Otan, beloved. Come on in. How you doing today? transitioning out of, you know, what we've always known, you know, what was impressed upon us, in some cases what, you know, was indoctrinated into us and forced upon us in terms of how we eat, how we live, how we view God. Uh, food 
and what we eat, I would say, is a foundation. You know, um, I was taught by the elders, bullshit in, bullshit out. <laughs> you know, and if you're eating, you know, the dead carcasses of animals, the pus and mucus of cows and chickens, artificial this, synthesize that, fake food, you know, you can't expect your body, but more importantly, your mind to be operating at its optimal, you know, capacity. We, we underestimate the value of exercise and diet and food on how it affects just our brain alone. And because our brain doesn't have, you know, nerve endings sort of in the way our skin and other parts of our body do, you know, until we get that headache or that migraine or other major issues going on with our body, you know, we don't often think about, you know, are we, not only are we hydrated, but are we hydrated enough that our brain is getting what it needs? And so that comes through not only drinking of water, you know, or juicing, but eating fruits and vegetables and, and, and fibers and other nutrients. And our beloved Chef Bougie, who I've been sort of just encouraging aggressively to come on the show and share with us, um, he's going to share with us today. So I'm going to let um, Chef Bougie go ahead and speak. And then, as we always do, we'll find the harmony in, in what he shares I'm also going to go to the phone line, so please be patient, uh, phone caller. I'll be with you um, momentarily. Greetings, Chef Bougie. Hey, how you doing today? How's everything going? All is a blessing. It's a lot happening, uh, more than any of us can really share right now, <laughs> but yeah. we're really excited. Yeah, we, we, we're talking about management, and, and I know the last time we really got into a discussion about food, I mentioned a couple of products that uh, – some of people are unfamiliar with. Let's talk to you. This is this, this right here. The NBC experience in the market. Phonio. It's an African green called Tunio. Tunio, okay. And it's, and it's pretty good for you. And also, if you can get a whole uh, test, which is another item that's, that's pretty good also. Both are from Africa. Both of them are the original version like this. This formula, in essence, today is, is, is known as premium wheat. Okay. The, the, the premium wheat that we, that's been fixed a certain way. And the tech also, it comes in the red, it comes in an ivory. The ivory in the, in the um, is really like uh, our grips. And the red tech will be considered a wheat team. And also, people want to know what a good rice substitute is. Quinoa is a very good substance. I love quinoa. Yeah, quinoa is very good for that, and it's, and it's very nutritious. Now, you have to make sure that you, like you said, you got to read labels and others. You will do. If you want to eat healthy, you need to read as many labels as you can, because everything that's vegan also is not good for you. Some of it's processed. You turn it over and you look at the great burgers that they have, and and there's all kind of whey in it and soy products in it. That's not good for you either. So you, you have to really take the time to look into everything that you put in your body. And you also have to look at who's touching the food, who's prepared it. Because if they're in a bad frame of mind, you're taking that in. And you have to watch that. So a lot of things that we, we do, I mean, I know it's difficult because it's hard to cook nowadays. It's, it's, everybody's working crazy hours. COVID is here. 
A lot of people aren't comfortable going back to restaurants, but most people, a lot of people do go to restaurants. You know, they just don't have the time. And you still have to be conscious about where you go. If you need to go a vegan restaurant, you have to watch them too. Because everything that they prepare is not necessarily organic. And you have to know who you're doing. You know, and I know that you're, you're a diabetic, right? Yeah. So you really have to be careful about what you eat. With tech, the cereal, very good for you. And if you got a hold of the quinoa, that's great. That's, that's the best thing you should be eating. Yeah, I love quinoa, especially the uh, red quinoa. It's one of my favorite things. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you have to also be careful. You know, when we were young and we were kids, and when we were, when we were in school, they came up with a pyramid for food. You have to be careful of that pyramid. You have to be, because if I remember correctly, one of the biggest things on that, on that pyramid was Grains, um, and it was six to twelve servings a day. You can't eat that. Not not the traditional grains that they want us to eat. Mm-hmm. But then, if you went down to the bottom, you realize that it was put out by the Department of Agriculture, the farmers. They were trying to sell their plants, their products, and that's how that pyramid came to be. Some of their meals were heavily based on dairy products. That's because they were put out by the American Dairy Association. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you have to monitor everything that you really take in. You've got to understand who's putting this material out for you to read. That's, so, that's one of the reasons I've never really trust, um, you know, cold cereals. You know, they peddle them so aggressively, you know, on Saturday mornings and, and to the kids, you know, and it's primarily, you know, dairy products, you know, mixed with, you know, God knows what you know, in, in some of these uh, different uh, uh, cereals. I also think people um, neglect the importance of timing um, in, in terms of how often you eat and when. Uh, I was advised by my nutritionist to eat every four hours, every four hours, um, so that your body is not, you know, attacking the liver and, and your kidneys, you know, looking to produce sugar. But what you eat every four hours is critically important. You know, um, fruits and vegetables, of course, uh, proteins, you know, from sources like beans and, and legumes and, 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 and nuts and things of that, that nature. So I think also not only was the pyramid um, sort of a, a false structure, um, that idea of eating three times a day uh, was also not necessarily the best advice you know, to, to mass market, you know, to the community. Um, we definitely need more nutrients than that. And, and I think within the dynamics of that three-meal structure, uh, you, you end up overeating, but also, you know, eating a lot more unhealthier items, you know, trying to fill up that space, you know, in, in between the, you know, that most people manage to eat a three-meal I know many of us, you know, claim to only eat, you know, two meals a day. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's the best notion either. Um, split that up. And, again, every four hours, you know, eat something, something wholesome, something nutritious, you know, and, and you might get a much more balanced response um, from your body. I, I know I have. Um, it keeps my, my sugar levels really, really low. Um, I can see 
a future where I will not be diabetic. I can see a future where I would not, you know, be on, on medication. Um, but it has a lot to do with retraining and reprogramming, again, not just the body, but the mind. Because your mind is what's sending out these signals that I'm hungry, that I need sugar, that I need, you know, all these various things that, that we've sort of been programmed, many of us from childhood, uh, into thinking that, that we need. Uh, I, I gave up dairy products after, you know, years of, of really enjoying cheese, um, maybe 20 years ago. Um, I, I, I can't even just phantom, you know, cow milk, you know, even eggs um, is something that I might eat only once a year, and it depends on how and, and it's prepared, you know, and, and what it's in. So I think the timing, Chef Bougie, is also important uh, in terms of how we address diet and nutrition and, and health overall. And, and if you will, give me a moment to uh, go to the phone line. Area code yeah, right. 804. Yeah. Who's calling and where are you calling from? Um, I'm calling from Virginia. No. Yes, and who's calling, beloved? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm calling from Virginia. Yes, um, what's your name? Who's calling? Okay, um, I'm sorry. My, my name is Rennell. Uh, it's Rennell. It's all the V like in Virginia. Greetings, beloved. How can we help you today? What's your question or comment? Um, I have a curious question, actually. Um, my, my cat, my cat is not well, and I've been, I've been trying to find something um, that could help her to get better. I don't know, I don't know if it's possible because um, she's really not doing too good, and she's losing weight and everything. Um, and um, if you would like, you can send me an email. The Divine Prince uh-huh. at HouseOfTheDivinePrince.com. I'll, I'll be more mm-hmm. than happy to uh, help you to the best of my ability. Um, I do have access, surprisingly, to some people who, you know, are, are much more animal savvy than I am, and, and particularly as it relates to um, cats. Um, so I'd be mm-hmm. glad to help you. Just just send me an email. Today we're talking about the power of ritual and ceremony and traditional African-based religious systems. We're also going to talk a little bit about diet and, and, and nutrition and, and meal preparation um, with Chef Fuji. And I invite you to be a part of the conversation. My lines are open at 845-277-9143. Do press the number one on your telephone keypad when you're ready with your question, comment, and request. And we'll be more than happy to uh, unmute your mic and, and bring you into the conversation. Um, Chef Bougie, some people, you know, you said, you know, finding time to cook, you know, might be challenging in, in a modern society. Uh, but can you speak a little bit more about uh, maybe meals specifically? I think people also think that being vegan or being vegetarian, you know, is akin to eating like a rabbit. And I certainly don't eat like a rabbit, and I'm 190 pounds. Um, and I know many other uh, vegans and vegetarians that manage a decent weight, you know, getting their protein from other sources. I think that's part of the myth that you absolutely need meat to get your protein. So can you talk, as a chef, 
you know, we don't want all your secrets. But as a chef, you know, what what do you put together? What are some of the combinations that you, you know, rely on to make, you know, some foods that people might not necessarily consider much more tasty and, and savory and fulfilling? Well, one thing I do, first of all, I'm going to confess that, that uh, I am intermittent fast a lot. I, I eat one more day, and the rest of my day is consumed in the piece of fruit, um, apples, oranges. But as far as one meal, that substantial meal day, that's what I eat once a day. I haven't eaten meat now it's been at least seven, about six or seven years. Um, but there are a lot of alternatives. That you can that you can work with. Like I like doing I like doing nice saute with fresh herbs, quinoa, any type of fresh vegetables, asparagus, broccoli, a little bit of lemon juice, a little garlic. That's very good. That works great. And there are also a lot of slow meals that can be be prepared in your slow cooker. Your slow cooker is a good thing. So I always find that it's important that I usually have one casserole dish. You begin with the onion. And I rotate everything around that. I may have a tuna sandwich one day and a tomato soup, and then go back to that casserole dish the following day, and maybe ultimately put something else the day after that. But I, I, I take a casserole dish and I stretch that out the course of the week. Because of this pandemic that's going on, it's for all of us, you know, to like basically shop on Saturday and load up for the, for the entire week. But you got to work smart. I mean, you got to use the things. You got to work the vegetables. There are too many vegetables out there that you can. I do a stuffed eggplant with other vegetables: carrots, celery, zucchini. Um, and there's also a couple of companies out there. There's a, there's a company by the name of Daya. These are a lot of their cheese products. They do a lot of things with cheddar cheese and, and, and mozzarella cheese. They're actually pretty good. And you can use those things, like any application, like if you're making an eggplant parmesan, try to incorporate as many vegetables as possible. Use the, the diet cheese. Most of the time, you have people over your house, and they'll try it, and they won't know that. They won't even basically miss the meat. Alexis Williams asks, um, would you suggest olive oil or grapeseed oil with preparing meals? Grapeseed oil or avocado oil. Olive oil is all right, but you have to be careful. When you do extra virgin olive oil, you have to realize that once you use it in cooking, it's no longer beneficial. The molecular changes, the molecular structure of olive oil changes once you heat it up. Grapeseed oil maintains its structure. So does avocado oil, but they have high temperature. You know, they burn at a very high temperature. They work very well for it. If you can find them. Sometimes they're, they're very hard to get, get a hold of. But they're very, they're very I don't know whose alert that was, but it was very loud. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, we, we appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, do we have questions or comments from the other co-hosts or from the audience? Okay. Chef, it's good to see you. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Um, and I appreciate this information on diet. What would you suggest to, to men who are going through issues with their prostate, with their bladder, with the main type of issues, especially we you know that is prevalent in our community 
as a whole uh, for all of the challenges and struggles that black men have to deal with and, 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 and hold on to. So we do suggest that with, with people with that and with high blood pressure. Well, one, what I try to do also is I juice, I juice a lot. And I usually incorporate a lot of green kale, even collards, juice, beans. Especially if you go to the workout, like before I go to workout, I'll put something together. I'll juice some beets and some ginger. It's like a shot. And a little bit of turmeric. And you take that thing and you'll find that your workout will be a lot stronger. Also, it, 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 it uh, increases your blood flow. So when you're working out, blood circulates through your body a lot better. Your workout is a lot more effective. But your green is really what you want to deal with. Any dark green. Mm-hmm. as far as your prostate is concerned and your circulation. That's most of the problem. Also, green have a tendency to cut meat, which is also a big problem. And, 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 and So that's something that you want to address right away. When you get, get into your green, get into your vegetables, all that stuff, and you find the regular. I use the regular oil. I use green, but I put spinach in it. All of my flowers, any kale, baby kale, anything that's a dark green is going to be, it's going to be a benefit for you. Yes, that's another one of my favorite things is dark green, uh, leafy vegetables in particular. Now, when you're, you're also juicing, you got to remember one important thing. That when you juice, your juice is good for about 24 hours. After 24 hours, it loses you. The vitamin count goes down. And also, when I juice, I always incorporate seafood juice. The moss, the seed, the seed, I always incorporate that in my juices. I even have that in a tea. But that's, the, that's one of the, and that's also great for your posture. Very good for that. So what, what, what role do you, do you feel, you know, ritual and tradition and in some cases ceremony plays particularly in our household, in our family, um, in, in how we approach, you know, food and diet. I know some families still, you know, have five different kinds of meats for Thanksgiving, you know, 12 t- types of dessert, you know, for Christmas. And, and somehow, you know, for, for many of us, that symbolizes celebration and, and family and, and, and to some degree uh, success, you know, how much food can can you afford? How, how much of a spread, you know, can we can we lay out? And what role, you know, in your opinion, do you feel that has played in how, you know, what challenges us in terms of getting people to sort of address what they eat and how and how they eat today? Well, the first thing we have to remember that a lot of diets that we have right now are a result of because the slaves wouldn't really eat that food. And most of them you know, eat what they did So they didn't have a lot of things that were available to them. When we came out of slavery, that was one of the things that we got to enjoy. You ate, and they used to have other people say this when you go over to the eat. You pay your bill. Because they didn't have meat to the union slavery. We didn't have that advantage. We ate spend. When we came out of slavery and got a little bit of money and started, life got better, 
We started eating, you know, until you thought. We didn't eat until you got satisfied, which is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do until you thought. Not until you heard your thoughts. And that's a big concept right there. And a lot of people, even to this day, you go over their house and they'll say, you eat, they can get full. That's not necessarily a good thing. Especially if you're eating your father's eating to get to a meal. And, and that, that plays, a, that plays a, a critical part because the human body gets at least six to eight hours to digest. So if you're eating four or five big meals, and you go to bed at night, you're not resting. Your body is spending that time instead of repairing itself, extending its time digesting food. When you wake up in the morning, you're starting the same thing all over. And that's why sometimes you hear people say, I, you know, I need help going to the bathroom because I haven't had movement in days or something. Then you should be doing this one or two times every day. So the fact that we sometimes we overeat a little bit too much, and I think we've become accustomed to just eating to eat good food. That's what these buffets are like. When you go to a buffet, wow. you eat all those food, and you see... People walking around the buffet not in the best shape. And they're walking around with three or four foot at a time. That's not a good thing. That an over period of time, but you know, that wears your body down because your body has spent the majority of its time digesting food. So the repair cycle doesn't have a chance to do that. And you it's a health crisis for us to understand. That's right. Yeah. You know, you, you just brought back my memory of my past life, you know, in the church. And, and a part of the, I guess, a sign of status and, and prosperity, you know, was that we, we went out to eat at, at the church every Sunday. You know, after the morning service, we'd go out and eat, and then we'd come back, you know, for the, the 6 o'clock e- evening service. And, of course, you know, if you couldn't afford the seafood house, you couldn't afford, you know, the, the grand buffet, then, then they weren't, you know, privy, you know, to these sort of social events. And, and I remember people really jockeying, you know, putting more focus on that event than the, the service, the religious services, you know, themselves. I, even as a young person, um, my mama tell you, you're going to waste your money at a buffet with me. Uh, I never was able to sort of, uh, as my grandma used to say, my eyes were never bigger than my stomach. You know, I didn't fill my plate, you know, with a whole bunch of stuff that I knew I wasn't going to eat. Um, and, and even at a younger age, I was conscious of, you know, was it me? You know, was it artificial? Was it white in color? You know, I was very aware, you know, of, of food, you know, to that degree, even as a young person. Uh, but I can remember being embarrassed, you know, at some of these uh these church events at the all-you-can-eat house. You know, the the, uh, the joke of the Asian woman putting somebody black out of the all-you-can-eat buffet that we see in, in sitcoms, you know, from in living color up until present-day uh, Saturday Night Live, uh, that, that's an unfortunate reality still in our community, that, that idea of eating until you're full, and, and, and we know full is a relative term, some people get full a lot quicker than others. Um, and then, you know, feeling like we have sort of the right and the entitlement 
you know, to sort of eat, you know, what we want. Uh, when I think about young people, um, oh, my goodness, the fifth graders are, are much bigger than the fifth graders were when I was in the fifth grade. Um, you know, the seniors are much bigger, you know, super size, you know, height, weight, you know, like gladiators. And, and I often question, is that because we are eating better or just eating more? And 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 I'm still... You know, even with all the gluten-free and vegan this and vegetarian that, I'm still not clear that our community is really getting the message about food and what and what we're eating. Um, a quick sidebar, Shaquille O'Neal and, and uh, pizza franchise, I thought was a very bad idea. You know, they, they went from a overtly racist, you know, pizza delivery company, to now, you know, a black-based company, you know, and, and further promoting, you know, bad behavior, bad food, bad diet. Um, does anyone else have an opinion about that? Or do y'all want me to go on into ritual a little bit more? Because I think this is ritual. I, I think it has everything to do with our connection to spirit, our connection to ourselves, our ability to hear ourselves and to, and to hear our bodies. When you think about Alka-Seltzer and aspirin and the pink stuff, you know, they're really designed to turn off, you know, the, the natural signals that your body gives you that what you're eating is a problem. What you're doing to yourself is, is a problem. And so we, we pop a pill, to, you know, take a product, you know, and, and, and don't often adjust sort of the, the ritualized, programming that we have around around food and particularly holidays and and special events and there's almost something that goes off in, in your head that oh now now's the time for me to eat you know whatever I want and and in maximum amounts of what I want so when, when you see the development particularly of, of children and younger people is that because we are are now eating better or is that because we're just eating so much more I think I think we're eating so much more, and I think we're encouraged to eat so much more. Because when you look at Saturday television, and you look at the cooking shows, the gourmet shows, and they show the different restaurants that they go that they go to, there's always a restaurant on there that has one item on the menu that's meant for five people to eat. But if you eat it by yourself in 90 minutes, you get a free T-shirt. And that's not good. That's not how things are supposed to go. And I think from the African connection, maybe we need to pay more attention how the ancient Africans ate. Not just pick up their language, but pick up how they how they survived, what they ate, because last I saw they were in pretty good shape. They didn't have a great deal of obesity. They didn't have a great deal of disease. And they ate, you know, basically from the land. And meat was one of the biggest things that they had in their diet. There's a lot of grains, a lot of plants, and their thinking was good. You can come in and eat, I think you know this, once you stop eating meat for a little while, your mentality changes. Yeah. And I think about, because we didn't mention this, you know, it's kind of assumed, 
but what's in the meat, even what's in some of our, you know, quote-unquote healthier food items, you know, the chemicals, the hormones, the processing. Uh, someone said a little bit earlier, I think it might have been Otan, um, the, the condition that, that the animals are housed in, and, and I think you said, you know, the people who are packaging the food, you know, these, these major industrialized food outlets that, that are trying to feed, you know, as many people as possible, and there's a relative way of looking at that as, as possibly a, a good thing, but then what are they mass producing to feed as many people as possible? And, and then, you know, what big money and big pharma, you know, is influencing, you know, what we're seeing. Um, I, I know a great deal of what we consider, quote, unquote, American breakfast food items were politically, you know, inspired, starting with just bacon itself. You know, uh, bacon and, and pork bellies is a, it's a major thing on, on, on the stock market. It's been talked about, joked about, demonstrated in movies and, and sitcoms and TV shows. You know, it's a big political machine behind how many people eat bacon. And, and I've noticed even in the marketing and the advertisement, there's this season when all of a sudden everybody's got bacon, everything has got bacon on it, you know, and, and, and they explain, and it has bacon. You know, um, many of the food, again, the box cereals, you know, fueled by the former, uh, what we used to call um, soap box. TV programming, you know, where you had, you know, black and white TV, Lucille Ball, and even before TV, radio, where you didn't have visuals, you know, but there was always the interruption with the advertisement, the commercial for some product that they wanted to, to sell, you know, or promote. And, and both Lucille Ball and Good Times, if you remember the episode where Michael got drunk off the, the health tonic, both made a, a sort of a humorous display of that very fact that, you know, we're being offered things that are not necessarily in our best interest. We now have these legal fine prints that say they have to say certain things. So, so the pharmaceutical commercials come on and, you know, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. And it's going to change your life, but it might give you cancer. It might make your penis fall off. It might make your heart, you know, have failure. <laughs> you know, you might... You know, it might cause your hair to turn, you know, purple. You know, this whole list of, you know, dramatically worse circumstances, at least in my imagination, but you should buy, you should try this product, you know. And then just the idea of, you know, well, check with your doctor. That's a legal ease. You know, they legally have to say, oh, but check with your doctor before you, you, you try this. You know, the dentists have preferred. And so there's definitely this political... Uh, and, and some people think it's even more wicked than just political economic machine that's determined to kill off. I mean, let's call it what it is, to, to, to depopulate the planet by, by a certain set decade that's already been discussed in private rooms. We're all aware of, of, of overpopulation, if you pay attention. We're all aware of the weight and the pressure that we're not only putting on the planet, but the ecosystem, our ability to produce food, you know, the livelihood of the bees and the frogs and all the other things that are critical markers about not just life on the planet, but human life. And so there are, are indeed some wicked intentions behind what's being promoted, what's being pushed 
in front of us in terms of what we're taking in, you know, to our bodies, literally and figuratively. And, and it's my opinion, I'm not suggesting everybody on the panel agrees, but it's my opinion that they're anticipating to kill off a certain number of the population slowly, gradually, systematically, repetitively, uh, addictively over time with the idea that only the fittest will survive, only the wisest will survive, only those who are willing to learn this information, because it's like learning another language, you know, and and they're going to apply it. Okay, those people might survive, you know, while we fight off many other attacks, you know, on our very life. So I agree with you. I do. And um, I think it's really deep, you know, the idea of how we get our food, you know, mass market, you know, now we got the Walmart. I'm old enough to remember a time where it was not a Walmart. <laughs> some of my guests can remember that, you know, and it was Giant Food or, you know, Kroger or some of these other, you know, uh, grocery stores that, that still are in existence. But as we have gotten just so much bigger, um, you know, I remember the, the, the season of the supersize, you know, where you supersized everything. You know, if you ate fast food, you know, everything was a supersize. You know, uh, buy n- not just one Whopper, but two. You know, buy not just one Big Mac, but, but three, you know, and, and they make it so much more. I'm almost about to say something that's really bad, but they make it almost economical, depending on how you view economics to eat the bad food. But if you understand economics, you know, the health costs, education costs, and the health care, you know, care and, 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 and having an aid to help you wipe your butt and walk and all the other things is far greater, far greater than, you know, spending an extra dollar to leave your city for 20 minutes and, and buy from the farm. I said before, I'm, I'm grateful to be in a town where we have food coming straight from the, from the, from the garden, straight from the farm, straight from the garden. And, and many of the gardens are independent. I'm not talking about industrialized, commercialized gardens. I'm talking about my garden and, and Miss Gloria's uh, two community gardens and, and my neighbor's five gardens, you know, and we have everything from citrus to green leaf vegetables. You know, we're blessed to have the tropical climate that we have in New Orleans. We, we can grow citrus almost all year long. I can grow sage and other herbs all year long, you know, without threat of them, you know, dying off. And so that accessibility plays a role, I think, in how people view how do I eat healthier, how do I gain access to, to healthier foods without thinking that, uh, as Denise like Augustine likes to say, whole check is your only option. She called Whole Foods Whole Check. <laughs> she gonna spend your whole entire paycheck in Whole Foods, you know. And 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 I, and I don't necessarily believe just because it say Whole Foods as the brand that everything in there is wholly in your best interest. You know, you still, as a Chef Bougie say, have to read labels and and understand what you're buying and understand who produced it and and where it comes from. There was a time I really liked fish, you know, and I bought fish from the grocery stores, uh, often in the frozen food section, until one day the light bulb went off, and I, I, why is all my fish coming from China? 
you know, and, and they got fish in Mississippi. They got fish in Louisiana. Why is all my fish now? You know, so I started asking for wild caught. You know, if I do go into a, a major grocery store, do you have wild caught? If not, I don't buy the fish. Um, so, you know, and, and another, you know, quick point, you talked about the Saturday shopping. I don't do that either. You know, the once a month food stamp shopping, the once a week, because that's the only time, I, I don't do that either. Um, I shop now like my grandmother, my mother's mother shop. Uh, and she went to the grocery store or to the vendor, you know, uh, produce vendor, you know, every other day. And she bought what was fresh. She bought what was economically feasible because, you know, your collard greens might not be the same price on Wednesday as they are on, on Friday. And she had a very systematic way of, of shopping. And she kept two deep freezers, something that I now now do. You know, she kept a deep freeze, so she was able to buy things, healthy things, you know, that are, are freezable, that can be contained. Uh, and so another lesson I've gained is preparing meals way ahead of time and then freezing them. For me, any diabetic listening to me, it changed my life because I don't really think about food now, very little. I, I, I pre-thought about the food during the preparation and the storing. Now all I have to do is just go and grab something. And sometimes I'm not even sure what it's going to be. It's like a little game, you know, because once it's frozen, sometimes you can't tell exactly what it is, you know, but it's always good. It's always going to be healthy. It's always going to be wholesome. So that, that's another reason why I'm able to eat, you know, every four hours, not a whole lot, not overeat, you know, this portion prepared meals makes it much easier now i don't have children you know literal children never had children so i'm not going to you know try and offer advice to the mothers and the fathers in the room but but i would assume that that could be beneficial all time you know to prepare you know a certain amount of meals my mom cooked you know on the weekend and then we knew what we were going to have you know throughout the course of, of the of the week Okay, so after that now, being, being a, a mother for a boy, so I'll cook um, on any day of the week. Um, we're not big on fast food. Uh, I did grow up, even though, well, when I grew up, things like um, McDonald's was, was a treat. Um, it was a birthday thing, a, a, a one in a while, um, my grandmother cooked, my mother cooked. So I grew up in the cooking family, and that's what I do. Most of the time, most of the meals that my children have, I cook. And I'm not, I'm not big on a lot of outside things. They do because they somehow have endless appetites, eat a lot of things. I do have breakfast cereal. Mm-hmm. We don't eat a whole lot of the cereal or be in our house a whole six months because they also get breakfast in the morning. They get eggs and, and pancakes and things like that because they eat all of that. They eat grapes, eggs, pancakes. Uh, they eat the turkey bacon. Do they have that all? Biscuits, they, they love all of that. And that's what they're used to. They're used to their food being cooked. They don't get a lot of restaurants. They, they don't get a lot of 
a whole lot of going out stuff. Even a lot of the times with the birthday cakes, as I've made changes in my life, um, going out in this store and they can put this on a birthday cake, I bake them cakes now. And the funny thing is, <laughs> they've actually thought of that for those, as opposed to all the little store-bought cakes yeah. that, that I was so pressed about earlier, because a lot of the stuff we impress upon our children ain't even them, is us. The big birthday at one and two years old, they're not going to remember none of that So if we have to be mindful of the things that we impress upon them, mm-hmm. and also those are what form healthy habits. They see me cooking, and they want to see how I'm cooking and how I'm preparing things. They want to go with me out to the garden and learn how to plant things, and at what point they arrive, how to protect them and different things. So it, it all goes in that circle to show, you know, they're watching. They are watching. You have, there are so many times when uh, uh, one of my sons come and say something, and it's because it's a conversation they overheard me having or something, and, and I'm like, okay, no partaking in my conversation, but they hear That's to let you know that they hear you. They listen. Even when you don't want them to be, they listen. So, you know, um, I'm just used to cooking, and that is something I incorporate. No, I haven't always been healthy because I grew up with my grandmother with the big, huge meals on Thanksgiving. And, yeah, we had chitlins and ham and turkey and greens and macaroni and cheese and yams and cornbread. And, you know, that not that regular cornbread. That cornbread, it tastes like cake. And that's what I grew up on. So, initially, that's how I grew up cooking. And Sunday mornings, fried fish, grits and sliced tomatoes and you know, that's what I grew up on. So it took time and me growing up and learning and, and changing my habits and, and helping to incorporate the better things and, and changing the habits of my children. It takes time. It, it isn't going to happen overnight. And there are still some things that, you know, that they eat that I still bored. They are carnivores. I don't eat pork, but um, I don't try to do a lot of beef, but a lot of chicken and they will it off the bone or sometimes shoot straight through the back. So I, I can't, I don't, I've tried certain vegan things, they ain't happy. I they ain't happy. But vegetables and all of that stuff, they love all of that. So I, I win the fight where I can. <laughs> where I can. Yeah. And let me be clear, I'm not here to judge. I don't think Chef, Chef Bougie is either. Uh, I'm, I'm sharing what I eat and what I don't eat. Um, and, and I'm not judging anybody who eats box cereal or, or, or meat or, or fast food or, or anything else. Uh, I just know, you know, my experience now at 54, uh, I like to share my experience. Um, a lot of people say I look, you know, once I shave all this white off, I look really young for my age, uh, visually and physically to some degree. Uh, I could get a little bit more uh, athletic like my cousin uh, Ifa Wole. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm overdue for the gym, but um, as I learned, they say, as you know better, you do better. You know, um, white flour, I, I just, I, I was taught to get away from anything white. So I'm, I'm very um, suspect of, of white flour, white sugar, you know, um, even processed um, sugar substitutes, you know, can still cause the same signals from your brain to resonate in your body as, as, as regular cane sugar. So you got to be careful. And then, of course, there's the aspartame and the other chemicals that they, they use to process some of those, those substitutes. Uh, just this past week, I ordered stevia, four stevia plants, you know, to, to add to my, to my backyard uh, herb garden. 
uh, the ones that I had, uh, along with some of my basil, really froze uh, this year. We had unusual um, cold snap in Louisiana. I think it was back in February. Uh, and they froze all the way to the root. So I ordered me some new stevia plants. You know, they, they grow just like, um, almost like sage to some degree, except they're much taller and hardier uh, of a plant. And you could just pull the leaves off and, and use them, you know, process them on your own, you know, without worrying about chemicals and additives and, and, and whatnot. Um, so I, um, you know, I, I, agree, I, I agree and I support, you know, your experience, Otan, and, and any others. You know, I'm, I'm just not here to judge you, but, but I appreciate hearing your story. And I know with young people, it's a bit of a challenge. Um, when you were telling your story, you know, spirit was, is always talking in the back of my head. And I heard it's in their blood, you know, and so they're eating the way you ate as a child under your grandmama because it's in their blood. You know, uh, I love biscuits. You know, um, but I had to get away from the white flour. Um, cornmeal. I, I don't eat cornmeal like I, I once used to. Um, and if I were to eat cornmeal, it would be from scratch, um, not not from the Jiffy Box. <laughs> you know. Um, and that's the way we do it, and, and that's the way I was taught. But um, all that sweet potato pies, banana pudding, I don't do the box yellow pudding. I make my pudding from scratch. Um, I don't use white sugar anymore or white flour. So I've made a lot of the changes and adjustments and not just for what I cook, but how I cook. I don't do as much of the sweets like the sweet potato pies, banana pudding, that's holiday time. You know, I, I try to limit that because, you know, they're so rich and I just I just want to make sure I try to keep that for only certain times and treats and things like that. So yeah, I don't do a lot of candy or sugar if they want something sweet. I eat a piece of fruit. There's I see apples, oranges, um, That's my mama. Bananas and all of that here for, for that purpose. That was my mama. Yeah, if you, you got a craving, you need something sweet, she, she pointed you to the fruit. <laughs> the fruits and the nuts, you, we, we always had a supply of those uh, with us in the house. I appreciate this conversation. I had no idea really we were going to go this far into it, but it plays definitely into um, um, Enzo Khalifa mediumship uses the phraseology culinary heritage. And I like that. You know, you often learn what to cook, ultimately what to eat from your mama or from your grandma or whoever did the cooking, you know, as you grew up. Uh, my grandmother was a bit of a socialite. So that big party, big meal, and not just the food, but the desserts and the cocktails, you know, my grandmama can mix up, you know, all of that. Um, but something, the wiring in me, even as a child, was very just different. Um, pancakes, I probably burn out on pancakes by six or seven. You know, I, I just couldn't handle the thickness of the pancakes and that syrup. You know, it was something in my body that was saying that that was just too much for me. So I weaned off of that at a very young young age. So, you know, even me being diabetic is largely heritage. It's largely a product of having four grandparents that were diabetic, you know. And well, I also want to say to my friends now, when you look at cooking, um, especially um, 
whoever's doing it, whether it's men, you know, or women, but particularly also women, when you look at cooking, okay, and speaking to um, rituals, cooking is a ritual, okay, because you're gathering things, you know, you're, you're, you're coming up with a recipe, you're gathering things, you're gathering ingredients, you're putting your energy into it, your love, your concentration, your focus, you're preparing this meal. You're feeding your family or yourself. That shrine work right there, and that is absolutely a ritual. Yeah. And it is important. It's about how you do those things that creates the difference. So the connection in that is, one, cooking is a ritual and a very powerful one. So in doing that, that is a ritual. The focus, the creation, and how you gather the ingredients determines the blessings and the good things that come out of that ritual. What do you put into it? Oh, yeah. There, there really isn't many voodoo ceremonies that don't involve food. And, and not just for, you know, the loa, the, the budons, the spirits. You know, they like certain foods. Some like pork. You know, some like certain types of liquor, some like coffee and milk, you know, and even down to how it's seasoned or what's in it or not in it um, has everything to do with, with ritual and tradition and ceremony. But then there's that, you know, that point when we share the food among the humans present at the ceremony. And, and so not only is it how it was prepared, what kind of love and energy went into the preparation uh, but then how we enjoy it, you know, the idea of sitting down with your family and having a conversation over dinner, you know, or, or sharing, you know, good history, you know, over dinner. Uh, I don't think it's a time to, you know, share the negative. I don't think it's a time to chastise your child, you know, over their grade, you know, while you're eating, because subsequently that you're regurgitating and taking that energy back in. So it, it should be a, a healing time. It should be a, a peaceful, prayerful time, a joyful time, a, a time to share stories and traditions, you know, and, and talk about the past and the elders and, and those who, who came before. Um, my household, you know, we did all the things from the outside in that society said you're supposed to be. You know, the mother, the child, the boy, the girls, you know, children, the dog, the fence, the brick house, you know, and we ate dinner together. But it was often one of the most grueling times for me because that's when my dad usually demonstrated his, his anger and his negativity. And, and he would go back into stories about his grandparents and walking five miles to school and having to get up in the cold of winter and, and get wood and, and, and all the steps that led up to, you know, the food and the protecting of the food and, and the celebration. Um, I can remember my great aunt, you know, may she rest in, in old wound, um, made jelly cakes. I mean, they could literally take anything, any, any limited number of, of items and, and really make some powerful, you know, recipes and, and food items that, that we all love and, and enjoy. Uh, some in our community feel that um, it's a bit disrespectful for us to speak against slave food, to speak, you know, well, our ancestors survived on, on pork and fat back, and yes, but they were under very different conditions 
physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, very different conditions. And, and, and they needed that extra body fat. They needed that extra body weight if they could get it because food was, was not a luxury, you know, to our ancestors. They had to get what they can get. They had to scrape where they could scrape. They had to steal where they could steal it, you know. And often it's easier to take what's, you know, not necessarily being focused on. You know, you're not going to take the hams because masses, you know, and, and go come looking for the hams. You might take the intestines. You might take the feet. You might take other parts. And that's how many of these, uh, I'm call them delicacies, made their way into um, our community. But, but, again, there was something linear in me. Oh, my goodness. I remember seeing my mama eat a pig ear at one of my cousins. May she rest in her room. Um, at one of my cousins' house in Chicago on the south side. I must have been three or four at the time. Uh, there was no way I was going to eat that pig ear. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they offered it. They didn't force me, but they offered it. They tried to tantalize me with it and Yo, this is no, it ain't good. It don't look good from over here, and it and it didn't smell good to me. You know, even as a three year old, I, I just instinctively, and that's ancestral, I guess. Just couldn't eat, never ate a pig ear. No, I've never tried a chitlin, never. Um, now there are some foods that I've eaten that you all might, you know, I've eaten bear, uh, I, I've eaten raccoon, I've eaten possum. You know, and, and I don't now, but, I, but I, I've eaten those over the years. We had a neighbor who hunted growing up in the DMV. Maryland was still a great degree country back then, Maryland, Virginia. And he went hunting, and whatever he brought back ended up in our deep freezer. So everything from various types of, of fish, I've eaten mahi-mahi, you know, for you animal lovers, that's the best dolphin. I've eaten mahi-mahi, you know, um, and, and, and other various sea, seafood products growing up in Maryland. Back in the day, you could get a, a bushel of crabs for $5, you know, and everybody would go and get their bushel, and, you know, we'd have a little party, you know, at the playground or on, on the front stoop. Uh, but there were just certain things I just never could get down, <laughs> you know. And now as an adult, um, better understanding my bloodline, my lineage, including the diabetes, and, and people in my family had heart problems. You know, we had maybe one or two with cancer, but not a whole lot, you know, in our, in our family bloodline. I, it, I just realized I'm also talking about you all's family, Oton and, and Oye. Um, and so, you know, I've seen certain diseases skip generations. But I've also been witness personally through my own behavior and those around me of people who definitely have changed the destiny of, of their physicality and how that subsequently affects our lives by making some adjustments in these rituals and these ceremonies. Um, not, not removing the ritual. You know, some of us still want to acknowledge holidays. I don't necessarily acknowledge, you know, the society's holidays. Usually when they're celebrating one thing, I'm celebrating something else. But I take that time to celebrate, you know, to do ritual and ceremony. And, and what I feed the Orisha, the Loa, is, is often traditional to what I learned. Uh, but in terms of what I personally take in, uh, I've gained a greater degree of understanding about mental capacity. 
uh, Chef Bougie said, you know, just try not eating meat for a month and, and keep a journal. I always say keep a journal because people, we, we quick to forget. I, I heard that on a political show yesterday. Particularly black folks, we got a short-term memory. So keep a journal and write down every day how you feel, what your emotions are, how you woke up in the morning, how you lay down at night. And you will absolutely see a change in, in your lifestyle and your behavior and your energy uh, just by not eating, you know, meat. Now, if you're blessed like I am and you live in the South, you know, maybe you got land, you got a farm, you know, and you're controlling what your cows get. I, I applaud you, you know, I applaud you. But I, I don't think uh, as, as humans we were entirely designed to consume meat over the long term. Uh, yes, there was a time when we were Neanderthals and mixed with various other hominins that our body required a certain degree of, of, of meat. But, but as humans have evolved, our brain has evolved, our bodies have continued to evolve, and, and I believe we're evolving beyond a, a desire for a reliance on meat products. And it's not just because these industries are trying to, you know, sort of prepackage our foods, though that does play a role, you know, that they would love to see us, you know, consume a limited number of, of, of undetermined food, food capsules. I don't know what the future is going to look like, you know, food pills. I, I remember watching the Jetsons. I have no idea what food might look like, you know, 50 years from now. But in terms of health and holistic and wellness and ATR and connecting with your ancestors and connecting with the Loa and, and, and the Orisha and spirits, what we eat or don't eat is a critical component to that. Uh, Oloye talked uh, in a previous show about uh, certain taboos of food uh, when you're working with certain deities, certain powers. So Oshun might not want you to touch a pumpkin or a gourd you know, while, while certain activities, processes are, are going, you know, going forward. Uh, so it, it plays deeply into our, our ritual. Um, passing down tradition while Big Mama or Big Papa was cooking or barbecuing, telling stories, you know, something about grilling that, that, that you know, inspires fun and, and relaxing. Even if you're grilling in the middle of winter, which is something that I might do if I'm going to grill. Um, it, it opens up, you know, the campfire, something primal in us where our ancestors sat around the fire and told stories and shared information and passed down traditions. So, indeed, this is either in our food or it is absent from our commercialized machine process, industrial process food. And, and we are indeed taking, taking, that, taking that in to our bodies. Uh, Frida Nunn, your dad loved jelly cakes. Did he develop diabetes? Yes, Mr. Hillier. <laughs> My mama remembers Mr. That's the neighbor who brought us rabbits, goats, you know, bass fish, um, rockfish, which has been fished to extinction. Uh, you can't even really find rockfish anymore if, you, if you're familiar with that name. Um, yeah, he would go and fish and hunt and bring all those uh, goodies 
homes for us to experiment and, and, and try. And some of them were pretty good. Rabbit was pretty good. When I ate rabbit, it was pretty good. Um, I don't agree with, oh, it tastes like chicken. No, it's not quite chicken. It, it's actually much more tender than chicken. Uh, depending on how it's prepared, it can, it can be a little bit more savory um, than chicken. But, you know, as a child, we ate a diversity of southern foods uh, and also um, East Coast ocean foods you know, and, and, and food crops that were uh, available. Uh, where I grew up, we could literally be on a farm in under three miles, in under three miles. And, and I'm talking about just across the D.C. line in, in PG County. Back in that time, in the 60s, the 70s, the 50s, uh, three miles and you were, in the, you were out in, in nature. And so there were farms and tobacco. I saw tobacco growing growing as a kid and feel that somehow that influenced that I would never be a smoker of tobacco. Seeing it grown, seeing it harvest, seeing them, you know, cure it for, for pests and spray stuff on it and fog the community for mosquitoes, you know, all of that greatly affected how I eat now as, a, as, as an adult. And, 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 and how much gratitude I have for my parents um, for what we ate and were not allowed to eat as children. Because I know that my survival, even now as an adult, has a lot to do with what I ate as a child. And, and, and certain protections, just like how they try to suggest with the vaccine, were, were developed in us as young children because of the, the diversity of foods that we ate, the wholeness of foods that we ate, um, and, and in some cases, the exploratory foods that we ate, you know, Chinese, Middle Eastern, you know, um, Greek, you know, other forms of food. So I think all of that is important as we continue to acknowledge um, tradition and ritual, and not just in some magical sense of those words. But, but understanding how they feed culture for us, how they feed tradition for us, and how we see them now and how we are going to continue to look at them um, moving forward. Let me check my phone lines. Area code uh, 845-277-9143. I'm grateful for everyone who's listening. That, that's my international audience. Um, not that YouTube is not international, but Blog Talk Radio, uh, we can't see them. We, we can only see them by way of the algorithm. And so I'm appreciative of the diversity of, of countries and, and nations that enjoy our show, that find some uh, uh, compatibility to some of the things that we talk about, uh, particularly from a more indigenous cultural perspective. And so we see many of these ideas in in Asia and in the Middle East and in South America and, and of course, and in Canada and in other parts of the, the America. So I'm always grateful for my callers. You really only have about uh, 10 more minutes to call in. Otherwise, the system is going to prevent you from dialing 845-277-9143. Do press the number one on your telephone keypad when you're ready with your question, comment, or request. And I'll be more than happy to unmute your mic and bring you into the conversation. 
when thinking about, again, rituals, ceremonies, traditions, practices, I said I agree earlier in the show that I personally don't do much of anything without divination. And it doesn't mean that I'm throwing cards or I'm, you know, playing with the bones every day, asking about the weather, reading celebrities. That's not quite what I mean. There is no way, in my opinion, in my tradition, to address my problems, my concerns, my issues, my blocks, nor yours as a caller, a client, without consulting the spirit. The, the, the idea of pre-made recipes, pre-made medicines, that's equivalent to your pharmaceutical companies that have a whole bunch of bottles on the shelf that you go and grab, you know, indiscriminately to sort of self-diagnose and, and address certain conditions. And as Chef Bougie said, particularly for men, you know, we're in pain. We've passed out. We've had a heart attack. We've had something major happen before we consider health, wellness, before we consider going to a doctor, before we consider having that, that anal check for cancer or that colon check for cancer. And, yes, I said anal check because another major problem, particularly in the black community, is anal cancer. A lot of you don't know that. The promoters of and supporters of colon health have put a lot of money and a lot of publicity behind colon health. But if you've noticed, the trend now is colorectal health, colorectal health. And so getting those checkups is, is far more than just getting your prostate looked at. There's a whole lot more that, that could be going on that we should be looking at, particularly as, as men, uh, as it relates to our health. You know, a, a, what greater show of strength other than just going to the gym or being athletic, you know, or being, you know, trained in the arts like, like my beloved cousin, but knowing what's going on in your body, you know, getting those checkups, getting those labs done. Um, I have government assistance, medical care, so I have unlimited access to almost to some, to a great deal of, of medical care. And for that, I'm grateful. Uh, including dental. I know a lot of hardworking people who don't have access to dental and underestimate the ability for your dental complications to really upset what's going on in your body. A lot of That's true. I think also our, our people have to come to a better understanding of living in the world, making a living world, doing these things to prepare for the future. And to make it a ritual in your family so that people know in your family what to do in case something happens to you. I think that many times we overlook the importance of somebody knowing what your plans are or what is the best in your mind when you are coming to a point where a transition could be seen or even unseen. And so if we truly understand that tomorrow is not promised, then we should today begin the process of making sure that people around you know what to do. Those of us in the tradition have to know what to do with the Orisha. Those of us that have family 
they need to know so that nobody's fighting over any damn thing. So we have to look at some of maybe some of the, the maybe some of the mistakes that have been made in previous generations by not doing that and beginning the process for ourselves to make sure that when we get to 40, 50 years old, that we are um, at least making sure that we're updating, if we do have one, that every few years we're looking at it, we're updating it, we're making sure that everything that we need uh, to, be, to be said uh, is said. And we also have to understand there's a ritual to obituary. That every single day that we live, we are absolutely writing our obituary. And while others may deem you a liar, or others may deem many things about you, if you can truly stay uh, upright in your walk and in your talk and in your actions, then more will see you for the truth than they will be for that which is set against you. Let us look at ritual as for the future and for the future generations and for those who will be possibly mourning our loss and for those who might not have the best motive. We have to look at it from all different sides and all different kinds of those. So I hope that we all look at the ritual in our life in our in our everyday life, look at the ritual in our in our ancestors and our elders. Some of them don't have their 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 voice uh, up to date. Some of them are they don't have their 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 next of kin to know what to do. They they don't you know, you don't know their plans. You don't you don't even know their bank accounts. You don't know any damn thing about what to do. Let us make that a ritual so that we can now, whatever happens to us, be, be okay that the future knows what to do and that maybe there's something left for them to move forward with and to hold on to. And understand that everybody who you influence is going to hold on to something about you. And a lot of it is about the perception of anyone who it's the perception of anyone who comes into your life. So I believe in the ritual that it's more than just going to Orisha to do prayer, to do Oriki, to give offering, to do all those things. Because if you're not truly living in Orisha, what, what are you doing in the tradition? If you're not trying to live your life in an alignment with the nature of the Orisha within you, what life are you living? And if you're not trying to live your life so that the future generations will benefit from something that you've done, what life are you living? What's the worth of it? I'll say, especially today um, with this technology, um, no one really has an excuse, you know, to not tell their authentic story and to leave a footprint that, that those that come behind us can can acknowledge and follow. Um, Oloye made it very personal, especially in our community, 
how many funerals have we been to that disintegrated into drama? How many people in our families have passed and, and the fight and the bickering and the back and forth, you know, over their stuff, over the house, over the land, you know, quite possibly over businesses? How many times have we seen that, you know, just in the last 50 years? Um, wealth building, you know, I've taken wealth building courses and, and one of the foundations of wealth building is life insurance. You know, how many times does someone pass in our community? In our community, New Orleans, Treme, and, and we have to have the bake sale. We got to pass the hat. We got to beg for the cash app. We got to beg for the PayPal just to put well-known people in the ground, just to put really visible people in our community into ground. Save those who are quite not as well known or quite not as on, on, on the front line, if you will. That takes a chunk of, of resources out of our community every time that happens, every time that occurs, un, unprepared. And we're easy, I'm talking about new audience, to prepare for the second line. We, we got that down. And indeed, that is a ritual process that takes some pre-preparation you know, it, it looks spontaneous, but there has to be a degree of preparation. You know, that happens. But um, as my cousin offered, you know, just having a discussion about death, I think it's something that has changed in the dynamics of Western culture as opposed to more indigenous, you know, cultures where from a child you understood what death was. From a child you understood what, you know, from your vision and your experience what the rituals might, might evolve or, or entail. And so we've made, the, you know, the funeral, you know, our American, you know, experience. But, but within our community and particularly within the, the black spiritual community, we're now talking about altars and shrines and Orisha, you know, and, and Kobe's and, and other sacred items that as long as we keep this tradition in the closet, your cousins and them don't know what to do with it. You know, uh, heaven forbid they're violated, you know, or tossed out, you know, and, and, and therefore the next generation comes along and says, oh, well, I know, you know, Ole was doing, Ole Oye was doing something over there, but I wasn't sure what it was. Oh, well, I knew Otain, well, she, Otoon, well, she wore a lot of white, but, but I'm not sure why. Well, we should never have another generation that, that comes behind us and, and can say they don't know what we were doing or how we were operating. So, so forgive me for sounding like Oprah, but I stand on journaling, whether you're on your spirit journey, whether you are, you know, you're already in your tradition, you know, keeping a journal, I think is critical, just as critical for our spiritual life as it is for a doctor to, to, to document what goes on every time he encounters, you know, a client. And then for your descendants, those that come after you, I'm, I'm grateful my mom has written three books. I'm grateful Wapani, my sister, has written three books. I, I got some books coming. You know, and, and as my cousin suggests, tell your story now while you have the opportunity to do so. Document your story now while you have the opportunity to do so. People can shoo-shoo and, and, and say what, what they want, but in the absence of your voice, what is there to come, combat the gossip and the shoo-shoo? So, so we now, that's why I type technology in, in, in the chat. We now have technology 
that expands the reach and the power of our ceremony and our ritual and and, and our traditions. I I write down what I do every day. I I write down my interactions with my clients every day. I write down my interactions with with the greater ATR community every day. Of course, I'm writing down the, the new word, the new language, the new practice, the new tradition that I'm consistently, constantly researching and, and learning every day, I, I write it down. We, we, we can't assume our memory is good enough. And, and you know, I kind of was being humorous when I said 40 or 50, you know, Oloye. But the reality is, is that 40 or 50, they're dying at 20 and 30. They're dying at 10, you know, and, and many families are caught off guard. When, when a young person passes. Oh, we, we expect the elder, we expect grandma and grandpa, we expect, oh, well, they were sick. We kind of expect, but this unexpected transitions really catch many of our families, you know, off guard, uh, not just financially, but ritually and culturally. And how do we now address that transition and, and that spirit? You know, and, and the unresolved energies that may also be connected with that. So ritual and ceremony, uh, I can't stress this enough. We could have 100 shows and just talk about this topic um, and still not cover, you know, the range of importance that, you know, coming of age ceremony, being introduced to an ethnocultural tradition ceremony, death ceremonies birthing ceremonies, marriage ceremonies, even marriage ceremonies are now transforming, you know, in, in, in this age of, of five gender, in, in this age of transgender, you know, even marriage ceremony has had to change, has had to, to evolve. And some are not happy with the changes. Others are, are rolling through with the changes. But we, we've been on a consistent path to change, if nothing else since the first hominids appeared on the planet. This journey is about change if you don't know that by now. This journey is about evolution if you don't understand that by now. So tradition has its place. Having a roadmap, having the the voice of experiences that that predate yours are absolutely important. But being able to create new traditions, new rituals, new practices – for yourself, for your family, for your community are also important. Uh, some would say Black Lives Matter is not just a new move, but movement, but a, a new tradition. And, and we're transforming marching, protesting to, to another more modern demonstration. You know, the, the protest march of the 50s does not quite look like the protest march of, of 2021. You know, and, and our young people, gratefully, are, are getting more involved, are standing up, you know, to sort of fulfill some of these uh, positions. But, but the elders must be present, must be acknowledged, must be heard in, in sharing their experience, sharing their memories, sharing what their trial and error, what, what didn't work and, and what worked. And that information is, is absolutely vital to any young mind who's now trying to do something new, who's now trying to make a new difference in the world. Uh, We have about nine minutes left in the show. I'm certainly grateful for all of you all's love and support 
and commentary and questions. Uh, the phone lines, unfortunately, are now closed, uh, but the archive is still is still taping. Um, Jody Netta, my mother, uh, was also an only child. Yes. Oh, yes. I, I have the same. Heaven forbid if something were to happen to me, they, they know how to get into our passwords. They know how to get into my account. Uh, they, they know how to pull up all my Word documents. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I even have a list of every social media site that I'm on um, and, and how to get into it. Um, yeah, that's important that we not only adhere to this information, but um, um, make it accessible uh, to our children, our friends, our family, our peers, um, our community. Uh, thank you so much, Ashley Allen. We, we certainly appreciate your participation and your uh, support. Uh, Enzo Khalifa says collective family funds are tapped. And we have to strengthen and restore family charters and ritual life cycles. I love the wording, beloved. Uh, people aren't aware that early on your um, walking cruise, uh, your second line cruise, and, and, and even your um, black masking cultural traditions often had at their foundation life insurance. And life insurance was made available to the participants, you know, at a group rate. And that would fund the second line and fund the burial. Um, in the more modern times, uh, it's perceived that they've become a little bit more social uh, crews, you know, the party, the ball, the celebration leading up to and after Carnival. Uh, but, but in many of the traditions here, that access to, uh, and now not just life insurance, but medical plans, um, giving access to our musicians and our street performers and our uh, second-line crews and our, and our maskers, giving them access to, to dentists, to, to uh, health care, to, to general practitioners, um, to address, you know, all, all of our life concerns uh, and needs. So I, I agree with you. Family funds are often tapped, and then we're forced to go to the community, and so we need to strengthen our, our community resources, family charters, and ritual life cycles. Uh, some of us are still planning the, the family gathering, you know, the summer retreat, the family reunion, you know, so, so get, you know, a savvy, educated young person in your family, you know, to now look at insurance, to now look at other, you know, things that you can invest, because if each member of the family going to pay $40 to come to the family reunion, okay, they can pay 55 you know, and you all put some of that money into a, a, a fund that, that fuels the insurance, that fuels the, the community uh, pot. And, yes, particularly in, in, in relation to young people. I know it's painful and we don't want to look at it, but our young sons and daughters, they're being shot down by each other. They're being shot down by the police. Uh, they're dying at a much more prolific and, and youthful age than I ever remember seeing in the 70s, even coming into the, into the 80s. Uh, it was indeed the crack era where, where we began to see a greater degree of that violence uh, showing up in the streets in our, in our communities. 
Uh, is the power of ritual and ceremony and ATR the same as Abraham faith? Quite possibly at, at the uh, root level, at the you know indigenous level, I think humanity has sought uh, a certain union and unity, not just through you know we look alike or, or we're born from the same you know bloodline or parentage. Uh, but also through ritual and, and ceremony. Earlier in the show, Goat Rider, I, I talked about sort of the geographic nuances just in voodoo and, and how voodoo is done from town to town, state to state in, in West Africa, how voodoo is done in Brazil versus uh, Cuba versus Puerto Rico versus Venezuela versus Louisiana uh, and the southern states. Uh, so at its most foundation, I would say, yes, a continuation of a tradition, a continuation of an understanding. We have an understanding about a particular sign or symbol, and so we celebrate that. We re-acknowledge that every time we do a ritual. Uh, for example, your uh, communion. Every time we do this, quote-unquote, symbolic ritual, you know, of, of eating the flesh and drinking the blood, it is in commemoration of, a lot of black churches still recite that verbatim. It is in memory of, you know, the Savior giving a life, you know, and the foundation of that, that tradition. Uh, when I think of Naya Bingi in, in Rastafari in Jamaica, which is primarily that ritual drumming ceremony, which, and we do a similar thing in Congo Square every Sunday. You know, there's something that's unleashed during that drumming. There's something that's tapped into during that, that drumming. You know, people cry, people laugh, you know, people release their burden. People come and, you know, I heard you, Denise uh, Graves, you know, they, they bring their tiredness, but they still show up, you know, to Congo Square and release that, that energy and, and then find the energy to dance and then find the energy to interact. Uh, and Ashe is shared. I don't think that's, that's taught enough or heard enough in, in the global Orisha romantic community. Ashe is not owned or possessed. We share it, and it's conferred upon one another. So, so that energy is strengthened. I think church folks, you say we're two or more gathered in my name. That energy is strengthened together under the power of, of the rhythm, uh, under the power of the drums. And the drums are speaking a language. Many of you already know this. It's a language. You know, it's a tonal language. Many of the indigenous languages in West Africa are tonal. So there's a language being spoken by the, by the young baby drum, by the, by the mother drum, by the father drum, by the bass drum. It's a language that, that only your soul can comprehend. I sound like speaking in tongues, don't you? It's a language that only your soul can understand, only your soul can comprehend, you know, and when you're in union with the drum, when you're in union with, with the rhythm, magical, powerful, healing things take place and can happen. Listen, I appreciate you all. I enjoyed uh, you, Chef Bougie, coming and sharing your, your knowledge and your information. I still look forward to the opportunity for you and your wife to be with us together, and, and we're going to talk about some more topics with you. Uh, of course, I appreciate my cousin. Yeah, I'm I'm good at that, old time. <laughs> yeah, I know how to put a little bit of pressure on you uh, on camera live. 
Um, and I appreciate my, my blood cousins, Oloye Ifawole, for being present, Otan for being present. Uh, and, of course, all of my listeners, international and local, please, Wednesday is going to be a great show. Stop the encroachment on Congo Square. Stop the encroachment on Treme. Stop any discussion about moving City Hall to Armstrong Park. So I'm going to have guests from the community. Uh, Greater Treme Consortium will be with us. Uh, there is an advocacy group that will also be here with us called Justice and Beyond, a, a advocacy group, and we're going to have community organizers discussing and inviting, further inviting uh, our beloved Mayor Cantrell to come up with any other ideas in Armstrong Park and allow the community to have a voice. So I look forward to many of you coming back and being with us on Wednesdays, those that will. Uh, if you missed it, please catch us in archive. Please like, share the broadcast, share the podcast, subscribe both to my YouTube and my blog talk radio. I will appreciate you subscribing, liking, sharing. And until next time, remember that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you could just see beyond the veil, all just an illusion and a test, a challenge, and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. Ashe, Asheo, and Odabo. Thank you all. Thank you all for being with us. Thank you, Otan, beloved, for staying. Mm-hmm. For, for those private off-air meetings, um, that was a very difficult show for me to do from an emotional level. Um, to know that a family member is going through something, and I don't know the dynamics of what that is. And, and you know that I'm always watching your faces. Otan know that. I'm always watching your faces, even when you're not on camera. Um, that's what made this show hard. I, I can't tell you how many times I wanted to get personal, but I knew it would have been inappropriate. I, I wanted to say, bro, what's, what's happening? So you, you got to, what's this about? There are people coming to my life. Because of your elevation in the tradition. The, the, the banner. The banner has upset my former Oba. He swears that he did not kick me out. He swears that he's still my, my allure. He swears that he's still, I'm, I'm, I'm still under his authority. Congo Square. The Omas Indians. The Omus Indians prepared.